This episode is brought to you by The Game Designers, an upcoming feature-length documentary film about the people who make board games. It will be released later this fall. To find out more about it, go to Indiegogo.com and search for The Game Designers. Hey y'all, in this episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, the guys talk about the Origins Awards, the Video Game Hall of Fame nominations, preview Silver from Bezier Games, review Nagaraja, and see if they can make the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs with their review of Star Wars Outer Rim. I've got a bad feeling about this. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 171, Wanted Dead or Alive, my name is Marty. And I'm Tony. Wanted Dead or Alive, I assume, Tony, sometimes I have to guess at these things. You may Sometimes they're very obvious. The last episode was Kryptonite, because mm-hmm. we were talking about uh, cartoons and superheroes. But since our big game that we're going to be talking about in this episode is the new game from FFG, Star Wars Outer Rim, which mm-hmm. is all about bounty hunters and doing jobs and stuff. I'm making these too easy for you. So yeah, it's about Outer Rim. I mean, bounty hunting. What can you do? Want it? Because yeah. people did not get enough of our singing from last episode or the previous episode with Dan and Chris at the movies. Can we just all agree as a group that the most overplayed song by Bon Jovi is Wanted Dead or Alive? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I am so sick of that song. And I was sick of it the year it came out. Uh, to be honest with you, I cannot think of a... I mean, there's Slippery When Wet was the album. I can't tell you what else... I know that's sad. What else they've done? What other songs they've done? Yeah. I mean, they just don't come to me. That's the only song that, because it was so overplayed, I have no idea. Bon Jovi is an incredible, I mean, John Bon Jovi, incredible singer. The whole band was did an incredible music, albums, all of that. And they have a lot of credits um, for, for uh, did they ever win an um, Oscar? Uh, I doubt they ever won an Oscar because they never made a movie. I know, Grammy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so now here you go. These are going to come flying back to you, okay? Okay. I believe this was on Slippery When Wet. Living on a Prayer. Oh, yeah. Living on a Prayer. Yeah. You, actually, a lot of songs came out that album. You Give yeah. Love a Bad Name. Yes, you do. Later on, it came out a song called It's My Life. Oh, I didn't like that one. Okay. Bad Medicine. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. The ballad, I'll Be There For You. Do you remember that sappy ballad song? Mm, well, yeah. Okay. Um, I believe this was from a movie, Blaze of Glory. Uh, was that the one with uh, Will Ferrell and um, his, his whoever, and they were doing the figure skating? That was Blade of glory okay okay i I get things confused uh yeah now the original song that i used to like uh from uh, bon jovi the first song i ever heard of them was a song called runaway see it's not coming there that was before gosh that that was before slippery one wet uh, just a few years before that so that's actually the very first song i ever remember from bon jovi but yes yeah it it seems like anytime somebody has to go do karaoke That is the one song they're going to do for some reason, because everybody thinks they can sing it and they sound just like Bon Jovi for some reason. So I got a question for you. I have an answer. When we do five-minute initiatives, we try (laughs) to work on keeping them around the five-minute time frame, don't we? Uh, Yes, sir. that that, That is correct. All right. So in our last episode, and I'm doing the show notes, I usually, you know, I'll skip forward about five, five and a half minutes to so I can catch the next thing and type the time set. So when you and Vanessa and Adam did Space Space, did y'all not have any of your clocks working in your house? <laughs> we did. <laughs> and once we were done, it's like, 
whoa, that was nine minutes long. I kept like trying to end it. We kept talking and stuff. Ended up being like nine minutes. And now I regret not calling it like uh, the five minute initiative times two. When I was listening through it, because I've not had a chance to play that incredible expansion that you three were talking about, which I'm excited about. I was like, okay, wait a minute. They're not talking about the game anymore. Okay, first off, they had to pause it because of some music. Oh, and then they started talking about Infinity War and, and Endgame. I'm like, okay. So it's nine minutes. So if he could cut all that out. Yeah, okay, I get it. He can call it five minutes. I'm good with that. <laughs> okay, we cheated. All right, we, we cheated the five-minute initiative rules. I, I will give you that. But yeah, we did have a clock running. It's just that we didn't uh, heat it very well. Or look at it. I'm, I'm just saying. And you obviously, unlike us, where we have to do two or three takes of that, y'all were spot on on the first one and said, eh, we're good. So... We were just kind of putting off something that, that was going to have to be done uh, uh, later that night that I didn't want to have to deal with. What? We decided, hey, let's have a salsa garden. Let's uh, let's go get some tomato plants and zucchini and some squash and some jalapeno peppers. And let's just plant a, lo- a little garden. So we started out in containers. The containers obviously were not hold all this stuff because you know you got to have you got to have tomatoes attached to some sort of stake, correct, for to to go up a stake or a cage, either way, or or cage, yes. So we said, all right, let's transplant these things. So there's a spot out uh, in the yard behind the house. We said, well, we'll do it here. Okay, hold on. Where behind your house? Your house is so wooded. Where behind your house? It's actually right up against the house. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we've cut out like a uh, like a two by four area. It's small. It's it's very small. small. It's only, okay. it's only like okay. four plants in there. So we dug it. Actually, Adam did all this. He's been wanting to do this. So he took care of all of it. He dug it out and went and got some soil and put the soil down and edged it and everything. And he planted it. So that night, actually, after we finished recording that uh, episode of the Space Base Expansion, we realized, huh, there's a lot of deer around this area and there's a very good chance they're just going to eat these plants alive i saw well i'm sitting there thinking what can we do we don't got time to go get lows and get a fence or anything it's late so what we're going to do and i said well you know my dad told me growing up if you want to keep deer away from a garden you put human pee out there and deters the deer and i was like what do you mean put human pee well you pee in, in a baby diaper and you hang it or put it around the garden. Now, have you ever heard of this? I'm sorry, I grew up in Charlotte, so no, <laughs> I did not. I like where I know Vanessa's out in Mississippi. Yeah, I have not heard this. No. All right, so so I said I'm not it, visualizing this either. Stop visualizing, please. Stop visualizing. <laughs> so I told Vanessa, does that, does that really work? And she went, Yeah, my dad swears by it. And Adam said, well, we got to protect these plants somehow. So Vanessa said, fine, I'll go to Target and get some cheap diapers. And I'm like sitting there thinking, hold on a second, what is going on? So she comes back with the cheap diapers and she hands Adam and me one. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? It's like, you got to pee in this diaper so we can put it out there around the garden. And I'm like, do I put it on? She went, no. No, I mean, your Depends are already on. I don't know why you didn't use those. She said, you know, you could just go put it on the ground and pee on it out there. And I said, well, oh, number God. one, you're giving, me, <laughs> you're giving me a lot of credit for my aim here. It's not a very big diaper. Oh. So I say, I'll give this a shot. So I go to the- ah, You give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to the restroom and I won't go into details, <laughs> but we somehow make a little bit of a mess as we're trying to pull this off. Okay. That's TMI. That's TMI right there. Diapers don't absorb immediately. It's not like a sponge. 
the liquid has to mm. sit there a while before it finally absorbs into the diaper material. <laughs> so I come out and Adam's holding a diaper and I'm holding one. And he said, all right, let's go put them out there. So we go out there and we put one on each side of the garden. I said, we supposed to put it on stakes? She went, no, just lay it on the ground. That'll be enough. And it's working. There's been no deer coming around. The plants had not been touched at all. I don't know where to go with this other than did you three geniuses not Google the what causes the smell in pee that dis- detracts them? Is it not ammonia? Um, I'm going to plead the fifth at this point. Okay. No, <laughs> because oh, or did you have a did you have asparagus before you did this, and that was going to detract? No, we did not. Okay, so you were saying we didn't have to go to that extreme to to pull this off? I don't know. I'm just saying I, the first thing if if Donna had come to me and said you need to pee in a diaper, I would have first said why, and like you did, and then I would have pulled up. I mean, we have the internet in our day and age, and googled that. But you are so trusting uh, and loving of your wife that you you knew for a fact that that's how that worked. That she was right. That you did not need to Google this because she is 100% right. It did work, I must it say. It did work? Uh, uh, now, <laughs> now, we did hear some uh, bobcats that next night, which, you know what a bobcat sounds like? Have you ever heard one? No. Once again, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, the city. <laughs> it sounds like a young girl screaming. Oh, yeah, bobcats. Okay. Anyway, I don't know whether it must have been right outside our window or something. But now I'm wondering, does the diaper attract bobcats? That's not good either. No, it's not. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe the diaper attracts bobcats and the bobcats keep the deer away. Maybe so. Hey, there you go. There you go. All right. So here's my question. To anybody that's listening out there. Um, has anybody else ever had to pee in a diaper in order to protect their garden? I can't be the only one, right? I can't be the only one that's ever had to do this. There's going to be a hashtag we need to get out of here. Marty, wear a diaper, or I don't, I don't know. Mm. Oh, so anyway, yeah. So uh, that took a little bit of a squirrel moment right there. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to segue us somewhere else. Uh, yeah, that that ain't happening. So let's talk about something we did do, got to do this weekend, game wise. It had nothing to do with uh, doing number one in in a, in a diaper. We had our local International Tabletop Day here. Now, International Tabletop Day is not going to be until the first weekend in June this year. But our game club typically always has it at the beginning or end of April. They did not want to wait until June, they, they said, because a lot of people are going to be on vacation, etc. Let's just do it now. So we had our International Tabletop Day. And we were thrilled that Matt Ryan from Bezier Games, who's over in Tennessee, just about three and a half hours away, drove over to hang out with us because he wanted to talk to us about a brand new game that's going to be released at Gen Con. It's their Gen Con release that has just been announced. It was announced on May 13th. It's called Silver. When Matt shows up, he drops cards on the table. Mm -hmm. Now, we just had an interesting event where Marty and I played Pet Mots or Peep Mots, and it was not a good play because of how the cards came out. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, we got another card game on the table. And then I just got back from the beach and I actually played what this game is sort of fashioned after mm-hmm. called golf. How many of you have played golf or rat attack cat with your kids? Raise your hands. I had not. You have never played. See, that that floored me that uh, that day. I vaguely remember golf. So Tony, today I went out and looked up the rules for golf. Mm-hmm. I do not ever remember playing golf. And the, the rules that I found said that there were two rows 
of three mm-hmm. cards and you have to match the upper card and lower card in order to get rid of it or for not to count in your total score. The goal of the game is to have the lowest score at the end, end, end of the round. Yeah, not the most victory points. Yeah, you, so you're trying to get the least, which is mm-hmm. what this game is based on. This game is a card game where you have uh, cards numbered from zero to 13 and you're going to have cards that you're going to accumulate and check trade out over the course of the game. And at the end of the round, uh, you're going to add up all the points of those cards and the lowest points basically uh, win somewhat, but you play over what four rounds and the person with the lowest total over each of those four rounds is going to win the game. But then I looked up the other one, Tony, Rat-a-tat-tat. Rat-a-tat-cat. Rat-a-tat-cat. I have- A game right. I have mm-hmm. never, ever played that game either, but I see where both of those are like this game. Yes. And then, of course, Bessie has Cabo that is very similar to golf, which is leads into their next game, which we're talking about here, Silver. Mm-hmm. And now, before everybody goes, oh my gosh, golf, what a boring game is draw and replace cards, draw and see if you can catch somebody with a certain amount of points and try to trick them. So first off, let us just say, we played this for two and a half hours. Yep. Now, now, that game is not two and a half hours long. No, but we played it. What's cool is, let's go ahead and, and tell you, there's going to yep. be, coming out at Gen Con, there's going to be a deck that comes out, and later this year, a second deck's going to come out. And we had a chance to play both. Did we play the first deck twice, or the first deck? We No, we played, the, played both of them twice. We played both decks. So we played four games of Silver. And we had a new person come in. We had to kind of reteach the rules and everything. And Tony, I couldn't get enough of this game. I mean, this is one of those games when he first, Matt first told us about it. I thought, okay, this is a filler. I'm going to play this once and I'm going to put it aside and then we'll play to go to another game. I couldn't get enough of it. I was the one at the end. No, 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 no. I sucked that time. Deal these cards again. We're playing again. So the difference between this game and golf and, and well, Rat-A-Tat Cat, you put out four. And that's why I was very familiar with that. Here you're putting out five cards in a row. They're not stacked one or above. Five cards in a row, and you may look at two of them. They're dealt face down. Because for those who face never down. played Rat Attack Cat, they may not know that. You're dealt down five cards, and you get to look at two. So you look at two, put them back, and you have to memorize them. Now, that, first off, that was challenge number one for Marty and I. I wanted, when he said, and you probably really need to memorize where these are because you're going to be getting cards and switching them out and you can't change position. So you can't order them the way you want. You got to leave them exactly where they are. So it's like, all right, please, dear Lord, let these first two I look at be sequential in numbers so I can easily remember them. <laughs> I'm, I know this is past. I'm halfway through one of the games. I'm over there. Marty's hitting the table going... So he was doing his counting of because he remembered his cards and he had to go through that sequence. I'm yeah, like, oh, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second because that's one <laughs> thing. Like, that, what are you doing? That's one thing that took me off. We'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> so in the in the game, so like you said, you got five cards that are dealt to you, and on your turn, and now walk me through this, and you could compare this if you played rat a tat tat or golf or whatever. You can take the top card of the deck mm-hmm. and look at it and replace one of your cards you have in play or in front of you, you could take the face up card from the discard pile and put it face up for one of the cards you have in front of you. Now that's kind of the basic rules of the golf rat-a-tat-tat, but Tony, where this game exceeds and becomes a game on its own is these cards have special abilities. 
Cards zero through four have what's called face-up abilities, meaning if they're face-up in front of you, they have cool things that they do for you. The other cards, five through 13, have a flip ability, meaning if you draw the card off the top of the deck, you can flip it to the discard pile and use the power that's on that card. So the key is, unlike in Golf and Ratatat Cat, you don't want your cards to flip up. In this game, you want them to turn over. You want people to see them. And once again, the simple brilliance of that is these are low numbers. Because somewhere there's high numbers that will allow you to exchange cards with other people. But you want those low numbers face up so that you can use their powers. Mm -hmm. It's it's a double-edged sword. And the powers are all different sorts of things. And this is where the oh, multiple yeah. decks do things. And Tony, let's see if we can get some of the examples uh, of some of the face-up ones. Uh, one of I think one of the face-up cards is on your turn, you can look at another card. Uh, what were some of the other ones that were out there? Oh, one, one was just the zero. And uh, the, the first deck is really cool. If there was only two zeros in the deck, and if any time two zeros were face up on the table, the game ended immediately. Um, another one was that if you had this card face up, you could draw two, take the one you like, and put the other one back on top of the, the deck. Yep. So that was a very nice card to have. And like you said, there was, I remember one that says, if this is face up, you may turn another one face up, not just look at it, but flip it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them was, <laughs> it, it was, and we'll talk about the art in a second, Goth Girl. I remember this one. She would take a card and place it on the bottom of the, you didn't have to discard a card on, on the discard, but you could put it on the bottom of the draw deck. So you were able to put more cards in the draw deck because another game ending situation is when the draw deck runs out, game's over. Another cool thing too is you can start getting rid of multiple cards in play. When you take a card and you want to put it in front of you, if you, you can trade in all matching of one number to get rid of those cards. So there are times when you may look at your card and realize, oh man, that's a 12 I have in front of me. And maybe there's a 12 in the discard pile. You may take it and grab it and put it in front of you. And the next time you hope that you get a load number and turn in those two 12s for the one load number. Mm -hmm. So there's this constant thing going on of of risking of taking multiples of the same maybe high card number in order to hopefully turn them all in and decrease the number of cards that are in front of you. Now, if you think you do have the lowest number, you can also call silver, but you can't do it like in normal golf rules. And this is where Marty kept getting upset with me because I kept doing it like I want to play golf and rat attack cat where you, as soon as you draw the card and you know, you have the lowest number in golf, you call, you know, golf here, you have to wait a turn before you call silver. And I like that because you might realize, holy crap, he's getting ready to call silver. And there are cards that you can mess with other people. So you might get a card that says, oh, cool, switch one of your cards with anybody on the table. And I could just like, oh, Tony's getting ready to call silver. Oh, look, here's a face down 10 he doesn't know about. Then I'm going to slide right over there to him and take one of his viewable low cards. And what was the risk in calling silver and if you didn't have the lowest card and the lowest point total, do you remember? Do you? Huh? Huh? Well, I remember the benefit was if you called silver and had the lowest point total, then you got zero points for that round. And if you didn't, if it somebody messed with you and you suddenly did not have the lowest, you got 10 plus your total of cards. Yes. And so once again, it's the lowest is the winner after four rounds. 
Yes. Two and a half hours later, Marty, we're still playing. And I would have kept on going because it started getting cutthroat. The very first deck that's going to come out <laughs> at Gen Con is a very standard deck. You aren't messing with other people or doing too much. You're kind of doing your own thing. And Tony, in those games, I remember like the highest score was like 25 and mm-hmm. you would win with like 18. And then Matt said, hold on, let's bring out the B deck that's going to be coming out later in the year. And then you start messing with people. And all of a sudden, the scores jumped up into the 50s and 60s because people start doing things like this. Tony mentioned earlier about uh, me trying to keep count of all my cards. There was one card that had a flip ability. I drew it off the top of the deck and said, look at all your cards. Sweet. All my cards were face down. I looked at all five of my cards and I had the numbers memorized. I was going like 7, 4, 2, 12, 14. 7, 2, 12, 4, you know, 8. I didn't say I said 14. And I kept just going that over in my mind so I wouldn't forget it. Somebody, I don't remember who it was, played a card off the top of the deck that says, shuffle somebody's face down cards. And so they took all mine and shuffled them up. I went, great. So I did that little memory exercise and now I have no clue where anything is in front of me anymore. And because what Marty mentioned earlier is that what's important is that if you have two matching cards, if you draw a card and you know that there are two duplicates, then you can replace them. And if you forget that or someone shuffles your card. And this happened to both you and I, Tony. Yeah, we and we flipped them over and they did not match. Oh, you just got another card in your village. You keep those two cards and gain the one that you got. So now all of a sudden you've gone from five to six cards when you were hoping to drop down to four. Look, before I forget about it, the artwork. Oh, man. So when I first saw the artwork, I said, this reminds me of something. What is it? And Matt goes, is it the art from How to Train Your Dragon? I went, yes, that's it. That's exactly what it looks like. I kept looking at the cards. I I wasn't reading the text anymore. I was just, oh, look at this. And each of the cards on it has a um, werewolf symbol equal to their, their card that it's hidden. We're not really hidden. It's kind of, it's subtle. You just kind of, kind of look for it. You got to look. So that's just the neat little things that they've done with it. Beautiful artwork. And the thing is, the why is it called silver? Because, you know, Bezier makes the werewolf games, right? So the idea is there's a werewolf out there coming for you. And the idea of silver is, hey, I've got the silver bullet to kind of, you know, win this thing or whatever. So it's kind of playing on that werewolf theme. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You could have put well, no. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the theme is, but people may be wondering why is it called silver. That's why, because there's actually a silver bullet too that you can use as part of the game. And and everybody knows Werewolf is one of my favorite games of oh, all time. Lord. Okay, move on. No, but well, my point is, some of the characters in these cards are aren't they characters from Ultimate Werewolf? Yeah, if you've seen the artwork from um, the Werewolf games, a lot of it's the same stylish of art like that. Well, they had the Mystic and the I, I don't know if they had uh, the Seer. Had the seer, yeah. The seer. Oh yeah, so the Seer, which makes it. What do you think you could do with the Seer? You can like look at the, your deck. There was one crazy thing where somebody said, "Take the top ten cards of the deck and move it to oh. the discard pile to mm. try to end the game quick." But the cool one, Tony, take the draw deck and flip it over upside down. It was the cow. Flip, you tipped the cow. You tipped the cow, which flipped the deck over. And then at that point, then you could see what card was being taken. Oh, Mm -hmm. and this was cool too. Uh, Sometimes you would get stuck. So let's say you, uh, Tony, let's say I took a, uh, I drew a three. And I was like, oh man, I want this somewhere on my tableau, but I can't remember what these cards are or I haven't seen particular ones. And you risk it. 
and like I'll replace a card and then that goes to the discard pile. Let's say if it was the zero, Tony gets a free zero right off the discard pile. And it comes into my hand face up and therefore I get the abilities. So a lot of neat, I mean, this will be very exciting. And the last thing I want to say about this, Marty, as they come out with deck A at Gen Con and then deck B, which will come out later, you can then mix them. You always keep the same zero to 13, but you can put in say two 12s from deck A and two 12s from deck B, which have different powers completely. Mm-hmm. And that takes the game to another level. Like the, the one where we had the guardsman who would protect a card. And then you had another guy who the marksman who would destroy the, the um, highest card in there or one card that he can guard. Well, maybe you can just, dis- there's just so many combinations that you'll be able to play when you start deck building that's right, people. Deck building. I was very excited to hear that. Well, deck building, not in the sense of Dominion deck building, but but the beginning of the game, mixing up the decks. I think people understood what deck building well, is now. Yeah, as well, oh, oh, okay. hopefully, hopefully so. The thing is about that is, and, and Matt had been playing this game a lot, so he had all the cards memorized. With 13 different cards or 14 different cards, there is a reference guide that you can help you remember you know, what the cards do. And if you start mixing decks, and that's even more to remember. But after you play it for like two and a half hours, you eventually got it. I, I was totally stunned by how much I liked this simple game. I judged a book by its cover and he kind of told me about it. I went, all right, we'll play a couple times and we're done. And we just couldn't stop because we was having such a good time. And when we, it's like when he brought out the deck B and then the backstabbing starting occurring, that was so much fun. So this is it. it's going to be at Gen Con. It's a deck game. Uh, forget what he said. The MSRP is going to be on this. About 25 bucks. It plays up to four people. Yes. So that's you know, a sweet spot for me also on that. And if you play with less than four, you deal in the fourth person so that oh, you yeah. know there's some cards are taken out of the game. So when you're at Gen Con or after Gen Con, if you enjoy playing golf with the family, I'd say this is one of those, the card, the, the actions of the card are not hard. Uh, youngsters are going to be able to pick up on it fairly quickly, I think. The graphics are easy. It's not long, drawn-out text. It's a recommend from me. Yeah, and if you're um, if you want to find out more information, again, uh, we're recording this before May 13th, but it's supposed to be announced May 13th. So just go out to Bezier Games website, and I'm sure there's a lot on on the game right now. So a big thanks to Matt Ryan for driving over from Bezier offices in Tennessee and showing us that game. Uh, we had a blast, and yeah, for 25 bucks, you're going to want to copy this just to kind of carry around with you. This is a solid card game. It is hard to keep up with all the wonderful organizers that the Broken Token keep coming out with, which is why I'm so excited every week when we go and look and see what's new. It's always going to be something that I might be interested in or somebody else in. And the new one that was just announced is Eons. Is it Eons, Tony? Eons End or Aeons? Well, it starts with an A. I thought it'd be Aeons, but okay. It's, a, it's one of those really nice card games that we haven't talked about here. We haven't had time. But anyway, you can get yourself an organizer at thebrokentoken.com, can't you, Marty? Yes, you can. It's the Legacy Organizer, which organizes all the components during Legacy Play because Eon's Inn has just come out with a Legacy version of the game. Now, if you order this now and you're heading to Origins... I think you can pick it up, can't you? Avoid those shipping costs, right, Marty? That's right. Anything that you order now, you there's a deadline you can see on their website. Order by a certain date at the end of May, and you can go and pick it up for free at Origins and save on shipping. That's at thebrokentoken.com. 
facebook.com. Fantasy Flight's biggest IPs or license they have are Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. And just recently, we got to check out Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth, which is a was a big game for them. And right on its heels, they're coming out with the game Star Wars Outer Rim, a game designed by Corey Konitska and Tony Fanchi. It plays one to four players, two to three hours. And in a game of this scale, just like Journeys in Middle of the Earth, Tony and I to bring to bring on people that are more intelligent than we are, which is why we're excited to have back on the show for the Scurry Report, Mark and Nate. Hey Hello. guys, hey, hey, how's it going? So you couldn't find the more intelligent people? Yeah, yeah, they <laughs> so, were busy. Yeah. So you brought the B team, <laughs> <laughs> the the double A team. All right, so this game is going to be coming out. They didn't even announce when it's it's coming out. They were very we were very fortunate to get a, a early copy. And when they offered us the chance to get Star Wars out of room, I was like, well, heck yeah, because Star Wars Rebellion, I think, is one of the most epic Star Wars themed games I've ever played as far as theme and how it plays. Yeah, it's in my top ten games of all time. Is Rebellion from Corey also? It's on the shelf back there. Mark could turn around and look at it. <laughs> Since we don't have our Google food I up think, and Yes, running. it is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. If he knocks this all down, all that crash people is Mark's game shelves coming down. There it is. We don't, uh, we don't need it. We're, we're life is good. So we're validating this right now. It should now. be like right on the Can front. I, I'm going to put this box, box so that you don't keep banging on the table. Like There it is. There Corey K. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. <laughs> And then people are like, oh my gosh, guys, just get to so, it. So, Marty, I was going to say, tell the people about the game. What type of game is this? Well, the theme of the game is Outer Realms and the fact that we're dealing with villains and with uh, bounty hunters and rogue people. And it's like, all right, thematically, what did Han do a lot of? He did some smuggling. Smuggling usually means getting jobs and carrying from one planet to another, which is what a lot of this game is. So... To me, a lot of this game is pick up and deliver. Yeah, and one of the things I like, you're, I think you're right, a big component of the game is pick up and deliver, but that's kind of an optional path. Like mm. most of the, the mechanics kind of fit around that mold, but not all of them. I'd say like two thirds. So, But you could totally play this game without doing a lot of pick up and deliver, I think. Well, I, I mean, I don't know about that. I don't know that I agree with that. And the only reason is. Oh, I mean, already got a plot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, it feels a, a whole lot like Merchant of Venus. Uh, or Merchants and Marauders, those kind of pick-up-and-deliver games. But ultimately, in the game, you have to pick up something and deliver it, right? Uh, if you're going to nope, win. No, Marty just won the game Actually, without doing that. I, he, I, I only did two jobs, and one of them was one of my first cards I got for delivering some cargo. But your your ability was, because all the characters have special abilities that you eventually gain, Yeah, right? at the beginning of the game, everybody gets to choose one character, and they have a special ability, right. like and, you said. And there's three steps in any player's turn. There's the planning step, the action step, and then the encounter phase. To your point, Marty, you were basically going out after blowing stuff up. So when we all picked our characters, I, I picked uh, Ketsu Anya. I'm not sure if sure. I'm saying her name right. Her big thing was, uh, during the encounter phase... 
And we'll talk about the different phase in more detail in a second. But in the encounter phase, typically when you do an encounter, you're on a planet where you're going to pick up a card for that planet and resolve some text on it. Or you can encounter a, a token that's right beside of it of a contact. And this contact might be somebody you, you capture and deliver for bounty or destroy. Well, I just happen to have an additional ability that says, on your encounter phase, Marty, I can encounter a patrol or a contact uh, token that is within three spaces of you. So immediately I thought, okay, I'm going to make a combat type character. And at the beginning, everybody has the exact same ship card. And there's two ships. One is more about cargo. The other is more about attacking. And I chose the attack side. Yeah. And basically, from what I could tell, you were playing a pirate. Like you're just running around destroying the combat patrols that the various factions have out on the board that kind of move around and impede your progress and and sometimes will fight you. And so Marty was like, I'll just fight those guys. Mm-hmm. Like the, the cops, basically. But, but his character also, with that, it was a contact. So if he wanted to go bounty heavy and track down bounties, he could be outside in space, I guess, scanning the planet for the bounty instead of having to land on the planet to make contact, which would have helped him from that standpoint. So he could have been searching for bounties or additional crew on his ship. So we've all sat here and questioned, even our previous play, are there any special powers that may be a little bit overpowered? We, we, we I don't know. Well, if that's, if that's the case, then I, did I happen to pick the two powers? Because I did play a totally think- different character last time. And, and one there too, and we thought, man, maybe that one's too powerful. Could it be I'm just a better player? That's what I was thinking. Nah, I'm just thinking I, you're a better I don't player. Think so. Totally unbalanced. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, there's got to be a problem with the game, I'm sure. <laughs> well, uh, but you think about it for Mark's turn when we were playing, because in the encounters, you know, or even when you're doing actions to challenge skill tests, delivering cargo or delivering bounties, you're doing skill tests where you're rolling two dice, and depending on if you get a hit or a crit, you would succeed. And y'all can talk about the tactics and all that. You were constantly rolling piss poor like i was doing in another play yeah for real i mean i was like can we go back to journeys of middle earth where i have cards because i did a whole lot better with the cards than i did with the die i was just like nope 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 yeah so all the dice in here they're d8s and they basically look like the dice from x-wing in fact some people were buying this game so they get the cool looking dice from from x-wing and the die has uh eyeballs on it and there are some skills that we can convert the eyes to successes there's a success and then there's a crit but it's not as straightforward as that because uh, starting out with your initial character, everybody has certain skills. So, for example, mine had stealth and strength. So when I did a test, um, let's say that the test was knowledge, which I don't have. That's considered unskilled. So when I rolled two dice, my only way to get a success was rolling a crit. But if I'm skilled, which I was, then successes are crits or the success icon. And if I'm highly skilled, which means I got maybe another crew member that adds to an already existing skill, then any icon that shows up is is a success. And that's how all the skill tests work in this game, which is most of the encounters. Yeah, and kind of on that point, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest downsides to this game, for at least me. Some people will like it because it's thematic, but basically a lot of times you're reading test strength similar to role-playing games and stuff, and you just roll two dice and you get a result. And typically, there's not a lot you can do about their result. You don't have a lot of decisions to make. It's just sort of a, a standard skill test. Like, like Marty said, a lot of the game is rolling tests like that or combats that are like that, where you don't have a lot of input into the, the outcome of the combat or the test. That is true to a certain extent, but you can get cards that will give you more skills that help you roll better. So, I mean, you have to roll a crit if you don't have the skill at all. But if you get a crew, the crew can even have the skill 
and then you've got it, and then you only have to roll the hits. So there is a little bit of uh, mitigation. And there's different things that you can uh, buy. So when, during the action step, if you're on a planet, there's a bunch of market cards in in the middle of the table, and you're going to earn credits over the course of the game. And you can go to the market and spend and buy things. You can get mods for your ship or gear for you, which potentially could help you during combat because you guys have some skills that said, oh, I will get to re-roll any misses or I can convert an eyeball to a success. So there are upgrades that you can have either to your ship or to your person, your character, that can help you in those situations. And the reason why you have two different things is because you can do ground battle on planets. You're going to battle one-on-one against the other person. So if you're going up against a person and they have a blaster and you got none, they're probably going to be rolling more dice. Out in space, your two ships go against each other, and there's mods you can make to your ships like photon torpedoes to help you out and give you basically extra dice. Yeah, and you guys are right. There are definitely upgrades that you can do to improve your chances, but for me, it's still a drawback because unlike a lot of other great FFG games, there's no resource that you're managing that lets you mitigate. Think about the other games. There would be clue tokens that you could spend to turn bad rolls into okay rolls or inspiration in Lord of the Rings to draw more cards or change results of cards. In this one, once you start rolling those dice, with a few exceptions, there's not much you can do about the result. So unless you have certain, like you said, crews, like I had, I was balanced across my various skills, especially when I picked up this one crew member that gave me what I was lacking on my character. Now, one of the neat things about this game Insert bell. You've stopped inserting the bell. Why is the bell not in the show anymore? Because you hadn't been saying it till right then and you just heard it. Okay, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. I've been missing the bell. So, for, what was I saying? I don't even know. It was neat. It was neat, whatever it was. <laughs> it, from the standpoint of, if you're out there on contact, some people may have bounties on these characters. And I may see that you have a bounty, but I can hire them on as crew and take that away from you. So this game... When we first got our play, we kind of held back. We didn't want to upset everybody. But this game, I was hoping we'd have more interaction because I think there's a lot of interaction that can be happening. Near the end of the game, yeah, we were going after each other to gain fame points or whatever we had. But So I think that's kind of a neat aspect of this game. I like that aspect where you can mess up each other's plan. And that there was definitely some interaction when everybody come to my side of the galaxy and started smacking me down. Well, you were wanted, and I'm a bounty hunter. <laughs> <laughs> a droid bounty hunter, even. And you were so. a squishy toy over there. Evidently, it's like I didn't do the right thing. I've never seen Han Solo take some... Uh, he wasn't even in carbonite. He was just <laughs> For real. flopping around like so, a little fish. Uh, what I do like is... Uh, so we, we've talked about the things you can get is it does kind of feel like even though your actual character, you can't build them up. Uh, all you can do is flip them over once you meet their personal goal. But it does feel like you're kind of building up and progressing the character by getting better gear on your ship and on the character. And I really like that part of it, too. And we had not talked about what the whole purpose of it is. Why are you getting contacts or doing combat or doing these counters? Because the whole goal is to gain fame. And the first, first person to get 10 points of fame basically wins the game. And there's multiple ways that you can gain fame. You can gain it from personal goals, as in everybody's card has a way to gain fame right at the beginning of the game. For example, mine was personal goal was just to win three combats. So immediately this was driving me towards combat. And can you get somebody give me an example of what their so personal goal was? Boss, his um, personal goal was to spend 15 thousand to in gear and mods and then he would be able to then chase people around the galaxy and if they were better in fame than he was he could attack them and gain uh fame i love the ig88s so i've got to read it his personal goal is to have two droid crew 
to gain a fame and flip the card. He's collecting other ro- uh, a mass robot ship. And mine, uh, Han Solo just has to have a big flashy ship. He has to spend fifteen grand on the ship. Thematically, you actually want to round up with the uh, the Millennium Falcon. The ships also have goals. Now you can buy new ships over the course of the game, but each one has a goal. For example, the my upgraded ship that I bought was just win one ship combat against another player, and I get to flip it for a fame. The bounties we talked about. So when you're in the marketplace, you can see there's six decks out here. There's decks for mods and crews and upgrades and uh, gear, etc. You get to see the top card. You have the option of taking the top card and put it to the bottom of the deck and flipping over the next one. Some of these are bounties, and some of you guys collected those bounties, but you got to go look for them. And at the beginning of the game, each planet in in this semicircle map, which I think it's kind of cool looking. Each planet has two face down contacts. You don't know what they are. You got to go find them. So when you're on the planet, you can interact with the combat and hopefully uh, contact and hopefully find the one that you're looking for. You fight against those guys. You can kill them or go deliver them for money, but they always deliver fame. There's just jobs that you can also get from the deck, which is basically the pickup and deliver. I'm going to go over to this other side of the, of the galaxy, deliver this, get some credits and potentially some fame. Delivering illegal cargo is a little bit harder to deliver. Winning combat against patrols. Now, one of the things I love about this game is the patrols. Now, this is basically NPCs that we have out on the board in that there's these four different factions and there's these little uh, tokens that are going to move all along the, the paths that you have and you can encounter those and fight against them. Some of them will give you fame if you beat them. You're right. The the ship contacts, though, I never had an issue with dealing with them. They just, if they will stop you, they'll stop your progress. What was more infuriating to me is the fact that I would pick up a bounty on one side of the galaxy on the outer rim, and I'd have to fly all the way over to the other side of the, where was my hyper drive? Was it disabled? That's called an expansion. We only did the Kessel run one time, I think. We, none of us even went to the, right in the I middle of the board to the is, other side. is the planet Kessel. No, no, you didn't. But a lot of that dictates on what jobs you pick up. If you pick up a job that happens to make you run to the other side of the galaxy, you'll do so. And you may have to encounter those patrols as it happens. And this is really cool, too. So there's four factions where you can gain reputation on. There's Hut, Syndicate, Imperial, and Rebel. You can have a positive, neutral, or negative uh, reputation with those. If you happen to run across a patrol that's negative, you stop right in your path and you must encounter them. But more so than that, these encounter cards that you will have at each of these planets, some of them will say, all right, if you have this type of reputation, positive or negative, something happens. Or uh, you guys may have some sort of abilities that uh, these secret cards, which I thought was cool too. You can draw a secret card that nobody knows. It might be, hey, if you happen to go kill a person that has negative hut, you're going to earn a fame. So there's these other goals that people don't even know you're working on. So reputation is a very integral part of the game too. Yeah, Marty, earlier you also mentioned uh, my favorite part of the game is jobs. You said they just get you fame, but that's to me where like the most fun is. So when you go on a job, most of the jobs that I think are like, you, you go to another card and it will have basically an entire card of text and different tests that you have to do to get the reward. And it'll, there'll be like five of them on there. And so it'll say, do number one, do a strength check. And if you pass, uh, go to step three. If you fail, take two damage and go to step two. And you'll go through this like series of encounters and challenges in order to do some cool thematic job. And it all kind of ties in thematically really well. It makes you feel like, like one of those was like a casino heist and you have to, sneak into the, to the planet and then find your way into the casino, maybe by stealing a guard's badge. I don't know. And then 
you know, crack the vault and then make your escape without getting killed. I mean, the multi-step jobs is really uh, one of the, my favorite parts of the game. I really like that too. And I really appreciated that you, the way they have them set up is you, you may or may not have to do all four steps. So just like you're talking about the casino thing, the, one of the ones I had was you, you have to roll stealth on your first thing. So you roll stealth and, and it says skip to step four. So you don't have to do the other two. If you didn't make the stealth roll, then you were going to have to fight uh, some stormtroopers or something. And so I really like that. And I also think, I don't think it's been mentioned yet, is that it has like a um, a deck of cards uh, that are numbered. Yeah, I think it's called the hollow deck. Not really. <laughs> what really is a Star Trek? Yeah, Star Trek? Oh my God. A hollow deck. <laughs> What kind of crap uh, is that? No. But it's uh it's like the crossroad cards is what I was trying to think of. Uh and so when you do a certain thing on the board, you draw the number that whatever you did, uh, like if you go to a contact, it'll have a number on it. There may be one of those number in there, or maybe three. And you'll pull that card and then you'll do what it says. And and that also like that because it added a lot of theme to it and a lot of flavor. Now, in some aspects, is this a race game as well? When I say a race game is, is try to, okay, I've got an initial character, build that character up, and then start racing through my strategy because that's really kind of where we are. The only way to stop that is if you take enough damage that equals the health of your ship or the health of the character, then on your planning step, you have to recover all your health and you don't move. And then that's if you're stuck out in space, you're adrift in space. There's nothing you can really do, which y'all tricked me into doing, trying to track down Marty to keep him from winning. So there is some negative. So it's not as, oh, let's go do just combat, combat, combat. Because if you lose out, it's going to hurt you. You're, it's basically you're giving up a move or uh, the capability of completing a job or a bounty. Well, you really shouldn't fight until you're ready to fight. I'm trying to keep you from winning the game. So uh, I, I understand. And no, I, I totally get that. And I will say that you guys jumped out to a pretty decent lead. My goal all along was I was trying to save up money to get a particular ship that was really good at fighting. And I knew that once I could start going around and fighting, that was my in game strategy. So I was doing a few jobs here and there, taking some money. And on your planning step, you can do one of several things. You can move your ship, recover all your damage, like you said, or gain $2,000. So sometimes I'll just stay on a planet and pick up two grand here and there and buy little cheap jobs until I had like 20K so I could go in and, and buy the better ship. And then on your action step, you, you had the option of when you're on a planet, you can deliver those bounties or the cargoes. You know, like I said, we had the, the market. Uh, we did. There was some trading. Now, this is interesting. You can do open trading with anybody, and it's one of those things that you can make future promises, uh, but you may not keep them. But any trades I think that we did, I know the first game, there were several trades. It's like, give me 5000 now, and I'll give you 7000 later. Yeah, mostly loans rather than trades. Right. But yeah. <laughs> and, and then finally, in the counter step, which we'd already talked about, you're just going to interact with something, a card on a planet, a token on a planet, or somebody else. But the trade could be important. For instance, if... Like Nate, in one of our games, he got my original bounty. Now, I didn't think he would be willing to trade me his crew, but he could have. If I, he and I met up and said, give me that crew, I got a bounty, and I'll split the um, reward with you. Because then, if he trades me, I don't have to actually physically do the battle. Because it's now done. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of fun to be had kind of in that area. We only scratch the surface of like trading stuff just because we're kind of playing through it for the first, you know, couple times. I will say that uh, in our first game, 
afterwards we were kind of like, man, I don't know. Shouldn't it have been better than that? And Tony was very adamant. It's like, let's play it again. But with the idea, kick gloves off. Just go after people. There's a bounty you need. Just go to that person. Take. We didn't end up with a lot of situations here, but we went in thinking that's you know what we had and intended doing and intended on doing. And I think the second play was better. I know it was shorter. Our first game was three hours long. This game was only two hours. But and this is part of the 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 negative. And and Tony, as he walked around the table as we were taking our turns. There's a lot of downtime with four players mm-hmm. because when it's not your turn, unless somebody's going to combat you and you have to roll dice, you're pretty much done for three turns. And some of the turns are very fast, like say maybe you're not at a planet, you don't have a market action to do, and your encounter set might be going to the nav point deck and just doing a quick you know, uh, encounter. And then other turns, you know, players reading the market cards, and then they have some multi-step encounter that is cool but does take a long time to resolve. So that makes it even feel the downtime feel worse if your turn is 30 seconds and my turn is seven minutes. I'll address what you were saying about after our first play, we were kind of man on the game. Is I know for one, I knew it was a Corey Konetska game and I'm a fan of his stuff and I kind of expected more epicness out of the game. Okay. Because you look at rebellion, you look at Battlestar Galactica. I mean, you look at all, all of he's done really that I can think of. It's really big epic games. And that's what I was expecting out of this. Y'all had told me it might take three or four hours to play, especially if we had four players. So I was just a little let down when it wasn't quite that epic, but it's a really good game and I really enjoy playing the game. So I don't really know that if you take that initial expectation away from it, if it's really, you know, not as good as I thought it was. I enjoy playing the game. It wouldn't be something that would hit the table for me immediately. Like, oh, let's let's pick this or that. But there was another aspect that I liked was the ability when you can go to the market, you may pick one of these six decks and take that card that's on top and rotate it to the bottom. Another way to mess with someone like, oh, I know you need that ship or you want that ship. Oh, that could really help you out. I'm going to put that on the bottom so that it can't uh, be a benefit to you. Or you might be a way there's a crew in here that lets you discard it and thus get your test able to go on normal hits and not need a skilled It check. basically gives you the skill, any skill that you're looking for. It's like a wild card skill. A wild card. And so that's a very important aspect that I'm glad it's in here. It's one of the ways to mitigate it. So for me, enjoy playing it. Not one I'm going to go to, um, but all in all, you know, hey, it was fun. It was fun the next time we played. I will say, you're talking about the market. That's also an uh, important part of the game too, is the fact that when somebody buys a card, the next card, next card that's flipped up, might have a symbol on there for moving the patrols around the board. That's how the patrols move. And so let's say I'm in, uh, you know, on a planet of their Tatooine and I flip over a planet that says, move the rebel uh, patrol three spaces. The rule is it must move towards you. So that's how these tokens move around the board. Sometimes I move away from you on somebody else's turn, then move towards you on your turn. And it's random on which ones are going to move. And there's four patrols that are moving throughout space. Again, it's one of the aspects of the game that I really liked. As far as me, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's as epic as Star Wars Rebellion. Uh, I was kind of like you, Mark. I was expecting that kind of feeling. And it's not to say that it's it's bad, but I was kind of like, rebellion. Yes, it's going to be another exactly. rebellion. And it yep. didn't exactly match that. If, if I move rebellion aside, I still enjoyed it. But you're going to have to be ready for two to three hours of gameplay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll kind of sum up my thoughts. I think there are a lot of really cool parts of this game, like the the jobs I mentioned, 
the building up your character and your ship throughout the game. You feel a good like progression throughout the game of getting more powerful, more cool abilities. But there are definitely still some some negatives that'll keep this from being a, a game that I'm trying to get out to the table week week after week. Like the the dice roll with the results and some of the way the random cards come out where it might be all the way across the galaxy, but Mark's card might be right beside of him for an easy deliver. So it still has a couple of things that hold it back from being great, but is a really good game. Just to add on my final th- thoughts there is when we played it the first time, uh, I walked away and I, I was like, I think I will probably get to the third play of this and then I'll be done as far as what the game is right this minute. Uh, but two things on that one is fantasy flight. So they're going to come out with an expansion. I mean, look, we only got half a board here, right? <laughs> I mean, the ends are made to come off and add pieces. So, so we're going to get expansions. So there's going to be more content. And I didn't necessarily feel that way. Once we got done with our second play, I, I would continue to play this. And even though I know what a, a good many of the cards are, uh, it, I don't think it spoils the game enough knowing what the cards are that I would not want to play it again. So yeah, I'm, I'm all in on this one. I will say this one of these games price wise has a low, uh, entry point, meaning typically FFG games are pushing a hundred bucks now, like journeys of middle earth. The MSRP on this game is 64 95 or 65 bucks. So you can get it online from like miniature market for, for $55. So it's not a huge investment. I do agree with y'all in that. Um, if, if you're on the edge, you need to play it first because it, it is an investment, just like Rebellion is an investment, but it, it creates such an epicness, Mark, that, that you mentioned. This may get there, but after one play, it wasn't there yet. And there's definitely some design space for adding expansions to maybe bring that epicness into it. I agree. And, and I think it will get there, but I, I just don't think it's an epic game yet. The other question I have is, why aren't there any small cards in this game? <laughs> I was wanting you to bring it up. Yeah. How many games has it been since FFGs put out a large board game that didn't have the small FFG cards? Because there's none in this game, and it was amazing. And the flavor text, it, it was it was good. The flavor text was good. You don't not a big flavor text fan, but when you go into those encounter decks over there, the the, the one where the ho- the hollow deck, that's so <laughs> funny. When you go in there, I mean, like you said, then you feel like. Oh, I'm kind of into this now. There's these four steps I got to do and everything like that. While that's cool, that's also the part of the game that slows down too. So that's that's where the game kind of almost not comes to a crawl, but it definitely is a lot more than what I was doing. I wasn't reading cards. I just wanted to fight patrols. So I was like, all right, I'm going to roll seven dice and the person to my left would roll for the patrol and they would roll the dice. Okay, my turn is done. And then when I get to Nate's turn, well, I'm going to go here and interact with this contact. Oh, pull out card number 19. Let me read some text and start doing some tests. Well, so maybe that's what we did wrong. Maybe it should have been someone else reading the text to them, kind of make it an adventure. What are you going to do? Well, you know what? That's true. That might have been more interesting because none of the secret cards were in that deck. They were in the encounter decks on the on the different right. uh, uh, planets and everything. The game, I mean, typical FFG fashion, it's nice. The cards look nice. The little player boards are nice with the little mm-hmm. uh, places to put your faction things. The uh, It's easy to set up. I mean, it's literally pulling out six decks of cards, and that's really about it and putting the map together. Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking at the market cards. Yeah, the encounter decks. There's one uh, one deck for every two planets uh, planets on the board. So mm, 13 decks of cards. Yeah, he's close. I think I think it's 12. What do you mean? Did you forget that one? Plus that one's 13. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, I don't know whether it's like y'all, I definitely enjoyed the game more the more we played it. First time I walked away going, ooh, 14, 14 decks. I'm not well, so sure about that. This one. 
But after the additional plays, it's like, now I'm, I'm starting to get into it. Especially, I mean, your path is kind of set with the character you pick at the beginning of the game. It, it really is. That's such an important part of the game. And it's really hard to get off that strategy once you get into it. Yeah, the expansion is going to be character ships. That, yeah. that just ramps it all up. And putting in a Millennium Falcon with the boss, that would have been fun. So, yep. So I think for all of us here, we enjoyed playing it. But it's not like Star Wars Rebellion. But still, we would, we would put it on the table if the time was right. Nate, you're kind of like, no, I, w- I would put it on the table again. It's just, you know. It there's was, too much above it. Yeah, there's so many good games out here. And there's even so many good FFG games out. That it, you know, to me, this one has a hard time making it to the table next week. So, just out of curiosity, we've had two big games: Journeys in Middle Earth or Outer Rim. And somebody said, you know, which one would you do? Would we uh, looking around the table? We probably all agree Journeys in Middle Earth would probably be the way to go. Now, that's a totally different feel because that's a co-op game, and this is a head-to-head. So, if you hate co-op games, this is your only option. You you actually uh, messed up my whole closing. Oh, uh, I'm like, sorry, I didn't say that. What are you gonna say? Bart? The last you- thing I was gonna say is like, hey, do we have time to do Journeys in Middle Earth now? <laughs> No. <laughs> so again, this is Star Wars Outer Rim. Uh, it's going to be out soon from FFG. Again, don't expect Star Wars Rebellion, but it's still a solid game in this universe. But we probably do recommend if you're on the fence, try it before you buy it. So Marty, I was thinking that, you know, the award season had passed. All the movie awards were done. People's Choice. The music awards were all done. All The Squirrely Awards. The Squirrely Awards. All the um, ones over in Germany. All that's been done. But lo and behold, oh no, there is another set of awards coming out. And that's because it is happening at Origins where you will be at in the coming in the coming soon? No, it's coming soon. You'll be there, won't you? When are you going? <laughs> it's the middle of June. The middle of June, really? Yeah, it's wow. always the middle of the June. Where, where are you going with this? Well, I'm just saying the awards came out, and I wanted to ask you. Yes. Anything on the board games list of awards and awards? Now, you know, they used to take a lot of flack for their awards. They right? did. They used to be basically comedy bits each year for people like us. It's like, how in the world did, did this make the list? But when you look at this year's nominations for board games, check this out. Brass Birmingham, Chronicles of Crime, Cryptid, Everdale, Gizmos, Pulsar 2849, Rising Sun, Root, and Space Base. Those are all winners right there. That's an impressive list right there. Uh, yeah, it is. And in fact, when you go to Origins, you can go and uh, vote. It's kind of like somewhat of a People's Choice Award. And looking at this list, number one, I'm confused by the timing on some of these. Like Pulsar 2849, I thought was the year before last. I'm, But regardless, I'm not sure which one I would vote for right now. Man, I don't know. Root's good. Space Base. But Space Base and Root are kind of on different levels. Gizmos we really enjoy. Pulsar 2849 I, I think needs more love than what it has. And then Brass Birmingham. I don't know what's going to win out of that. Well, no, I do. Root's going to win. Root's going to win? Really? I think Root will win. Yep. What do you think? You know, I'm looking at I'm thinking it's going to be Brass. Uh, Chron- Chronicles of Crime. It- that's going to be tough. That's going to be tight. That's going to be some tight voting right there. So I'm anxious to see how that one goes. The card games category... Okay, this one is where it's like some of these I don't know. So mm-hmm. Anatomy Flux, I'm surprised another a Flux game got nominated. Choose Your Own Adventure, House of Danger, for that's good. Dark Souls, the card game, which really didn't do very well, is out. Get the MacGuffin by Looney Labs. Never played that one. Maine's Quest we played. You and I played that on the way to uh, Gen Con last year on the plane from WizKids. 
drawing a blank. It's been, a, I've slept, but I, th- I remember playing. So that was what it was. Oh, Lord. Oh, I, yeah, I, now, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm good. Dude, come on. It's been a year. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't play silver because you can't even, you won't remember your cards you got. And then the mind and villainous. Now, off this list, it's going to be the mind with probably, with villainous oh, yeah. coming in second. Yeah, the mind's going to win. Villainous, fun game. Uh, Rebecca and I enjoy playing that one. So, okay. Collectible card games. I'm glad to see the... Uh, Keyforge. Keyforge. Key, oh, well, Keyforge is there, but I'm glad to see Age of Sigmar, uh, Warhammer Age of Sigmar on there, which we really like. So, and Magic the Gathering, the Dominari booster box. I don't, of all those, I don't know what'll win. Probably Keyforge, but I wouldn't be surprised if Magic the Gathering won. And some of these, we own the family games, the Climbers. We played that one many moons ago. Yeah, a lot of these I didn't know either. I had heard good things about Pantone, but I've never played it. The Mansky Caper, I've heard some good things about. Yeah, Super Kitty Bug Slap. Oh, the T-Dragon Society game from Renegade. We liked that one. We played that. And then the Miniatures. Uh, just go ahead and give it to whatever Games Workshop is down there. They got a couple of them. Kill Team or Necromunda. They'll want... No, never mind. Star Wars Legion is there, and that probably may will be what win. But it should be Kill Team. And then on role-playing games, the only thing I'm going to say is... Flash! Oh! I didn't even know there was a Flash from Pinnacle Entertainment. You remember Pinnacle? Mm-hmm. They made ba- baseball cards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at these. Mutants and Masterminds. Numenera... Uh, uh, oh, I'll tell you what will win out of this. I'm going to guess right. Uh, Vampire of the Masquerade 5th Edition. Uh, probably, yeah. Get, that was so hot. Yeah, it was. And we got a copy of it. And it is crazy. And it is super adult. If you have kids, do not let your kids see that. Okay, moving right along. Is there anything else you want to talk about in these awards? No. I mean, that's always fun to see, you know, what wins and everything. So I can't wait to go go and vote. But again, it's a solid list, uh, especially the uh, the board game awards. Every one of those deserves to be in there. So I'm excited to see what happens. And it's also another game award. And this is one that uh, I brought up to Tony because each year we talk about the Toy Hall of Fame, where mm-hmm. that usually happens in the fall. And there's a list of nominees. And each year, Tony and I guess what we think is going to get in. And then we see if we're right or wrong. And last year, we actually did pretty good. So a new one has come out. This is now the World Video Game Hall of Fame, where three video games are going to be nominated to the Hall of Fame. And so before they announced the winners, Tony and I went through the list and made our picks. So here's all the nominees. Candy Crush, Centipede, Colossal Cave Adventure. Have you ever heard of that? No, I have not. Okay, it is a game from 1976. It's a text-based game. And looking at it, it's basically a rule book and a cassette tape. (laughs) Because, yes, at one time, storage was on a cassette tape before floppy disk. Well, it wasn't before floppy disk, but for the home use, it was cassette tapes. So it beat out Zork. I mean, I guess so before Zork. Yes, it was before. uh, In fact, it says right here, it directly inspired other influential titles like Adventureland and Zork. All right, and then Dance Dance Revolution. Have you ever played DDR? Uh, no. I tried one time. It was really embarrassing. It was almost as embarrassing as the pee in the uh, diaper thing. Half-Life, uh, Microsoft Windows Solitaire, Mortal Kombat, Myst, NBA 2K, Sid Meier's Civilization, Super Mario Kart, and Super Smash Brothers Melee. Now, Tony, each of us made guesses. What were your guesses for the three winners? So my guesses were, first of all, would be Microsoft Solitaire because, well... It killed so much productivity at work when people got windows on their computers. So I'm like, uh, so there you go. It killed the American dream and the economy because everybody was too busy playing solitaire and not 
doing word processing. And then I said, well, of course, it's got to be Mario Kart. Why Mario Kart? Mario Kart, because of just how long it's been going and the legacy. And I think it was one of those games that when it came out, I mean, it was on the NES, right, as well? Uh, Mario Kart was on the SNES. SNES? Okay. I just think it helped sold so many more units. So I was like, okay, that was pretty much uh, a given. And then I also picked Mortal Kombat because of, I just remember newscast after newscast talking about the violence associated with Mortal Kombat and just what it did culture-wise. And then it brought out a movie and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, oh, they didn't list um, Street Fighter. So therefore I said, well, Mortal Kombat, uh, that's got to be a winner right, that people would want and what it did. And two out of three of your guesses were the same as mine. Solitaire for the exact same reason. It became like uh, the first Candy Crush where it was just nothing but a time waster. Anytime you went to somebody's computer, they were over there playing Solitaire. And if they won, they left it going so you know the card bounced. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was before Minesweeper. Uh, so yeah, so I made that was one of my guesses. Super Mario Kart for the reason that was one of the first couch versus games. We ah. have multiplayer couch games uh, playing uh, with each other. And then I said Civ because I thought Civilization started a whole new genre of games. So here are the winners. Tony, you killed it because <laughs> Mortal Kombat won. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it. I was talking with my kids tonight. Why did Mortal Kombat over, uh, over Street Fighter? And uh, somebody said it was either Adam or uh, Brett said, because Mortal Kombat is what created the rating system. You remember all the violence you talked about? Oh, yeah. That's when they started to come out the rating system for games. Mm, Does that help kick that off? Super Mario Kart, which we said. Microsoft Windows Solitaire, we both said. And the last was that colossal cave adventure. So (laughs) the game we never heard of must have spawned this whole genre of text-based and adventure games that they decided you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, think about all that. I mean, Zork 1, Zork 2, Zork 3. Then you had um, the Empire, uh, I'm sorry, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I just remember on my Commodore VIC-20 and my Commodore my Commodore VIC-20 plugging in those cartridges. And I had a ton of those text adventure games mm-hmm. that would play. So I can understand that. That's pretty That's pretty wild. Yeah, so we killed it, man. Killed it. Well, what floor me and Charlotte on the local news, they actually covered this. Really? Yeah. They talked about for the 30 seconds, I guess it was fill the air time that could have been cut if they needed to, but they covered who won the video game hall of, got put in the video game hall of fame, which by the way, if you go out to that site, you can nominate next year's. Oh, so you will put the site on our website so they can go do that? Yeah, sure. I can do that. I can, I can most definitely do that. And I've already put my, one of my nominees in. Oh, what what is it? StarCraft. And what made it so important is just the computer revela- revolution it created in, in South Korea. Just as you were saying that, I was sitting there, but Tony, why StarCraft and others? And then it hit me, esports. That was really what kicked off esports, esports mm-hmm. like you said, with the, with the following in, in Korea. And that just became a massive, massive deal. Let me see. If I was to nominate one, one video game, I would probably say EverQuest. No. What was the one before mm. EverQuest that was even a bigger... Oh, it was another MMO. Um, People are yelling at, at the computer right now. Oh, Ultima. Warcraft. Ultima. No. Ultima Online. Ultima. Oh, Ultima. Yeah. Ooh. Ultima might be... I'm just thinking of genre-defining games. 
Ultima Online may be it. Uh, I mean, there's a, a tons and tons and tons. I mean, Microsoft, Microsoft Flight Simulator. How many times people worshipped that game? I mean, when the next one would come out, people would be all over it so they could fly the next advanced aircraft. I mean, there's just a lot. So if you have time, I'll put the link out there. Go out there and be sure to nominate your video game that, that was worthy of being considered. What makes it worthy? What's the reason behind it? You have to include that. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Every once in a while, Asmodee will send out some emails saying, Hey, is any of these games look interesting to you? And Tony and I always try to find a dark horse game. Maybe something that a lot of people are talking about or haven't seen much about. And that's when Tony and I both picked out together this game from Hurricane Publishers called Nagaraja. This is designed by Bruno Cathala, and this is a two-player game that plays in about 30 minutes. And as soon as I read the rules, I told Tony, this is going to be right up our alley, and uh, I'll just jump right to the end. It was right up our alley. Both you and I loved this game, Tony. Yes, it is so much fun. Anytime I'm rolling something, making hard decisions, and then having to do spatial relations, which I to test. But for me, this wasn't so bad. Now, Marty, what made this game so much fun for you? There's several things I like about it. Number one, each of you have a three by three tableau that's in front of you. And over the course of the game, you're going to be fighting to try to get a tile to put into place. At the three blocks closest to you is the entrance to the cave. And around each side, there are three relics that you're trying to create a path to to flip over. And they're worth victory points. The first person to flip over 25 points worth of victory points wins the game. But Tony, what I liked about it is, is the cards because it's dual purpose cards. On your turn, you're going to have a hand of cards and you can take any cards that have matching icons in the upper corners and put them down and they have uh, not dice, but blocks or sticks that you're going to roll for the purpose of trying to get more pips than the other person is going to get in order to claim that tile. But that's not just it, Tony, because on some of those rods, there's a special Nagaraja symbol that can activate powers on the card. That's right. The squiggly, as we were calling it in the game. And that's very important. This is part of the strategy of the game. Maybe it's a tile that you really want or need, and you need to win by playing the pips. Because the three colors, the brown, the white, and the green, all have different sides to them. The greens have mostly the squigglies. White has more um, pips than they do squigglies, or equal amount. And brown has no squigglies. You're talking about the rods. The rods, yes. That's you roll, yeah. So all that's very important, because you need to decide, if I play those matching cards to get the right combination, because you may want to play another card that has a special power at the bottom of it, all that is so strategic in that game. And I think, Marty, that's what you and I love, especially that. And if you win the tile, you place it and you may get to flip over some of your treasures. But the loser gets to do an incredible catch up mechanic. Yes, you do. Because if the other person's spending a lot of cards to roll a bunch of rods to make sure they get the tile, eventually they're going to start running on low on cards because the person who didn't get the tile will draw the three cards off the top of the deck keep two and give one to your opponent. So now you've gone up a card on them. And Tony, this happened to us a lot. The last game that we played, I claimed 
three tiles straight. And I thought, well, here we go. I'm not going to get any tiles for a while. And I didn't because at that point I was card starved and you had tons of cards in your hand that you can do a bunch of nasty stuff with because once you've rolled, each of you take turns activating the, the Naga or squiggly symbol on one of the rods to activate power. Some of them may be, hey, I'm going to give me plus three pips or hey, I'm going to steal two of your rods or, or take away two of your rods. Hey, I'm going to make you discard a card. Hey, I'm just going to draw two cards to potentially help me out. They have all these really cool powers in play. And once both of you pass, then you resolve to see who gets the tile. Now, Marty mentioned how the game ends if you score 25 points, but there's two other ways this game can end. One of them, which I love is three of those relics have curses on them. They're worth six points each. And if you happen to turn over all three of those, you immediately lose the game. Game over. It's done. Or if you put all nine tiles on your board, you win the game. That is incorrect. What do you mean it's incorrect? That triggers the end and the person with the most points wins. Oh, that's that's right. We uh, we corrected that. I forgot that. So it's that give and take, a real good push-pull mechanic that's going on between the two players. Two-player game. Love this game, Marty. Love it. Yeah, I, I do too. And Tony, we played, our first game was like really simple. I'm going to try to get a bunch of tiles to flip my stuff over. The last game we played, which is like our third or fourth game, we started getting into this totally different headspace. Some of the cards allow you to peek at the other opponent's uh, relics and you can find where their curses are. Then there are other cards that allow you to swap stuff around so you can try to set it up so they're flipping over curses. And you did that to me. And in fact, I, and you did that, which means if I found the third curse game was over and I already had one cart curse in play. So I was going to get a card that allowed me to turn one of my tiles. If you ever change a, t a tile on your card that breaks the path from one of your entrances to the exit, that relic flips back face down. And it doesn't count anymore. So it's like, cool, I can get rid of this curse and go after some of the other relics. So it hit a totally different space for us. It went from, oh, this simple, quick game to games where we were like, okay, we are like really, really deep in the strategy of this game. This came out of nowhere. This is a surprise hit. Tony, for me, unless some other stuff knocks it out, it's a nomination for two-player squirrely award for the year easily. So that is Nagaraja, designed by Bruno Cafala and Theo Rivera from Hurricane Games. Five-minute initiative is complete. If Nagaraja interests you, it should. It should. Nagaraja is in the cart at Miniature Market. Go make that happen right now. Go to miniaturemarket.com where they have it in stock. They just finished up their big clearance sale where a lot of games were on sale. I hope you picked up something. You got their email newsletter that announced all this stuff. And then be sure to pay attention to the drop. A lot of good games out there. Matter of fact, at the time of this recording, Blackout Hong Kong's out there. Wonder how long that's going to last. Don't wait too long if that game has interested you in the past. As well as a ton of accessories. Oh my heavens, the front page is always full of little miniatures, paint, dice, tokens, whatever you need. So be sure to check it out at miniaturemarket.com. A few years ago, we got to talk about a Kickstarter that we we're excited about from a company called The Game Canopy. They make these nice bags for carrying your games to and fro. They're rugged, they're tough, they're waterproof. Well, they have a brand new bag that's out on Kickstarter now called Deep Space. 
and they sent us a sample of this bag. And at first, Tony, I thought this was going to be a mid-sized bag between their larger canopy bag and their smaller Vanguard. I was wrong, Tony. It's larger than the game canopy. How can you carry anything? It's kind of like the board game Geek Big Bag I was carrying all the moon pies in. That's huge. Huge. It is. But the way it's designed, to me, makes it easier to carry. The The bigger game canopy is more vertically uh, set up, so it's taller than it is wide. The deep space one is a little bit squattier, but it's wider. And it was specifically designed that way for a couple of reasons. One, the game canopy bag is nice, but sometimes it's so long, it keeps bumping up against me as I walk. This one feels more like a, a large duffel bag. And it's also designed to work with rollers and carriers that people like carry their luggage on. There's a strap in the both sides so that you can slide it over a handle of your suitcase or one of those rollers. And it easily fits on there. And what I like about this game and all the pictures they showed uh, of what they sent me, the games are stored in there where they stack one on top of each other. I think I found, I like putting the games in there where they're more of a bookshelf type thing where they're stored vertically side by side. Cause then I can just open the bag and pull out what I want, slide it back in without sliding one from underneath. And one of the front pockets has these two deep pockets for storing like card games, like silver, or maybe some games like code names where you could put smaller games inside those pockets. I am really, really impressed uh, with this, this product Tony. And I'm telling you, if you're looking to, to carry games on to airlines and stuff, it fits in the overhead compartment. I have these two other bags. They're well-made. And Tony, you know, I've been carrying these bags for years and they hold up really well. Well, that's pretty good that you got all these bags. I'm sitting here with, you know, grocery bags. That's pretty <laughs> sweet. I like that. <laughs> paper or plastic? It depends. You know, paper bags, deeper and wider. So I usually try to go with the paper bags. But I, I of course, can use all mine from the miniature market rolling dice and taking name canvas bag that was given out at last year's Gen Con Strike Tournament. Who knows what's going to be at the Gen Con Strike Tournament for this year of 2019? But yes, no, Marty, when you had you had me at duffel bag, I I, I would really like that because you're right, that big canopy bag, it's going down, it's hitting you on the hiney. It's yep. got that, it's digging those corners right into that butt bone. That's going to hurt, man. So this one's just, again, it's mainly designed for the idea of carrying and rolling around uh, with you. A lot of people like to to carry their stuff when they walk through airports, put it on one of those strollers, the walkers. I like the idea of just you can attach it uh, to your handle to your suitcase. So you just put it right on top of your luggage, roll around easy. It won't fall off. If you want to find out more about it, you can, there's a Kickstarter going on right now, which you can find on our website. Oh, crap. <laughs> Why don't you take a note? When we talk about it here, put a link to the Kickstarter right here. Yeah, okay. Another Kickstarter. Okay, link to it. Got it. Again, that is Game Canopy with their brand new bag called Deep Space, which I thought was a great name. So I'm not going to rant about something. Uh-oh, here we go. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to rant about it. I'm just happy that it finally arrived. What's that? My Gentis Deluxified copy from TMG. Now, I finally got around, Marty, to putting the stickers on my wood pieces. Does this look like a face who wants to put stickers on wood? Mm -mm. That is not a face that wants to be dealing with stickers. So they're, they're kidding about my grumpy meter fluctuating. I was doing okay. I mean, I, luckily for me, I use some of my modeling uh tools and I was able to get the stickers aligned and not stick them on and move maneuver around. I was being very meticulous with this because it's Gentus. I am very excited to have Gentus and the Deluxified. The player boards are amazing. The hourglass figures, all the, the pieces that came with it, they did really good. 
but yeah, stickers, I wasn't expecting that. So, you know, it kind of, it kind of that, that euphoria of opening that big new brand spanking game and you're sitting there going, and then I saw stickers. I went, uh-oh. How many pieces needed stickers? Uh, quick calculation tells me over 50. And the worst thing about stickers is you get them off just a little, and then there's the little sticky part sticking off the side of the piece. Well, yes, but that's why I had the very, the very meticulous tools that I would put, barely put a corner down and then position it and then press it down. For 50 of them. Uh, yeah, and, and front and back on a few of them. Oh, my goodness. So it was, it was an exciting times at the McCree household. But then they sent this incredible organizer that comes with it. Mm-hmm. And it's a foam insert type organizer. Makes it very light. And I, But I did spend another two hours putting that biatch together. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, my gentis is ready to be played. Now I just got to go remember the rules. I'm sure people are like, stop your whining big boy, grow up and put on your big boy diaper so that you can go pee and help Marty out, keep the deer away. Speaking of helping us out, we have launched our pod pledge or podge pledge campaign. We announced it last episode and that is still going on. Thank you for all those that have contributed so far. We didn't talk about the different uh, names of the levels last time, Tony, but these have been appropriately named since then. You got the tip jar at a dollar. You can join our Slack channel with the Slack channel level at 12 bucks. The producer levels, when you're going to help us vote on what games you want us to hear about, that's at $24. The stinking pin level, we haven't shown what that is yet. But we're working to come out with the pen that's going to be, and that's for the $48 level. Now we do have a picture of our stress release level, and this is our stress acorn ball with our logo on it. That's at 72 bucks. The RPG night, which Tony has said he will be doing, is a $96 level. The Gen Con strike event, you need to jump in there quick because this one isn't going to last long. It has to be taken down, and there's only 20 available. Uh, for this. So you need to jump in there quick. That's the $96. But you know what? If you want the RPG and the Gen Con event, you could do the I Want It All and I Want It Now, great song by Queen, for $120. Question. On all of this, they can go to podpledge.com. They can go to podgepledge, P-O-D-G-E, pledge.com. Correct. They can type in them out, pay it all at once, or pay it over in installments. You sure can. You can just like, I'm just going to give you guys a couple bucks this month, and then they come back next month, and it just adds up over time. And Tony gets a report, an incentive uh, rewards report, knowing when somebody has hit a certain incentive level, and then he handles it from there. Yes, he does. He does such a good job at getting that stuff out there. And he even, sometimes you might get two in the mail because he forgot. For, to check the box that said he sent it out. So, <laughs> hey, you could be the lucky one. Who knows? What's going to happen here? Good gosh, man. Put, make me go to work, do all that fun stuff. But I am very excited for this. But once again, this all this wonderful content dealing with me and Marty is absolutely free. You don't have to do this, but nope. I do appreciate all the help. And if you've already signed up in 2019, Marty has figured out how to make it all roll over. If he hasn't, well, he's going to. 
so he doesn't confuse me and make and we're going to make that happen. So don't worry about that. We'll make it all work out somehow, won't we, Marty? Uh, yes, we we certainly certainly will. And you'll be paying attention because soon, very very soon, we're going to be opening up our ticket purchases for our Gen Con Strike event that will be taking place Thursday at Gen Con at 7 p.m. at the Old Spaghetti Factory. And again, you'll be buying tickets through the Pod Pledge. My podge pledge it doesn't matter how I'll say it. Pod <laughs> pledge page, and so that will be coming up probably the next episode. We're going to go ahead and get that uh, launched out there so we can start selling tickets for that. We sold out last year in a matter of two days, so we'll try to give you plenty of heads up on the next episode when that will go live, so you can be ready to purchase those tickets because we want to see you out there. We've already started started talking to Miniature Market; they are wanting to do another nice swag. A bag or swag product again this year with our logo and their logo on it. And that bag is, was a great hit last year. You don't want to miss what we're going to come up with this year. I've got a note to self. Get image ready for Gen Con event. Okay. Something else to do. I can do that. <laughs> Just a long to-do list. All right. Who knows how long this is because that Mark Kell, he cracks me up. Love him to death. I can't Wait for us to get another round of Outer Rim in, Marty. I'm very excited for that. Uh, yeah, we're, we're taking that one to a new level, too. Like, Nagaraja was like, oh, okay, this is kind of how this works. And then by the end, it's like, oh, okay. Now I see how to make all this stuff work now. Now, I will say uh, two last things, Marty. I, for my, I have spent 30 years at Duke Energy. I've been employed there for 30 years, and I received a 30-year anniversary gift. Cool. Okay? And I picked a Kamado grill. Okay, cool. No, it's not one of the porcelain steel. Just to let you know, I was able to put that together quicker than I was able to put the insert together for Gentis. <laughs> That's pretty. Oh, and, and 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 with the grill, you can like grill steaks on it. You can't do that with the Gentis insert. No, you can't. And I received probably one of the best comments or um, praises for our um, movie episode in a long time. What's that? My sister actually listened to it. That is the one that she will listen to every year. Oh, wow. That's cool. And she said when we talked about a dog's purpose, she was rolling. It was so funny. Us talking about our feels and all that and getting all emotional about that. So she says she really did appreciate that episode. So I just wanted to give you a little feedback. Well, that's cool. I always appreciate feedback. And if anybody else wants to give us feedback, you can do so at our ad, uh, email address at rolldicetakenames at gmail.com or feel free to go out to our iTunes page and leave us a, a review there. And if it would be happen to be five stars, that would be even better. Hey, just make it happen. Either way, keep rolling dice and taking names. listening y'all we are currently running our pod pledge campaign and we are approaching the halfway point of our goal thank you so much for all those that have already pledged and if you'd like to do so you can go to podpledge.com hey tony after this episode i know that you wanted to hang on for a bit and uh, talk some business stuff but um i i got to go um pee in another diaper i really didn't need to hear that again All right, everybody. Portal Games is just on a tear now with releasing new games and putting stuff on pre-order. You've got Mystery Tales. 
that uh, we've already talked about. Last episode, you've got a new expansion to 51st State Allies. You've got the Imperial Settlers rolling right that's going to be coming out at the end of June. And you got the new Empires of the North Games going to be coming out at Gen Con. Tons of great stuff. And we hadn't even hit the big Kickstarters that we're waiting on at some point in time with Predaporter and Stronghold Undead, which Tony and I are excited about. So you just need to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Portal. And you could do so. One of the best ways is to go and subscribe to their YouTube page where each week they're doing informants, looking at stuff that's going on in the company and other entertaining videos that they have. Or you can go out to their website in North America. You can go to portalgamesus.com. Anywhere else, you can go to portalgames.pl. 